is the Powerful Nonsense Podcast. Learn everything you need to know to make a living outside the 9 to 5 grind and crush it at life. You'll learn from inspirational guests and in-depth discussions. Go from employee to entrepreneur and start creating a life you love and still pay the bills. So here are your hosts, Wayne Ingram and Jem Yildiz. Let's get on with the show! This podcast is sponsored by the University of Northampton, the first UK university to be awarded the Ashoka U Changemaker Campus status in recognition for their commitment to social entrepreneurship. Guys and girls, this is going to be so good. I have never, ever, ever, and I apologise to all our previous guests, but I have never come out of an interview with the adrenaline rush that I came out of after this interview that we've got for you today. My goodness. Oh, it was a good one. It was great. Did you did you not have that same like I was I was like on cloud nine for a good 10, 15 minutes after we yeah. came off this interview. Same sensation after a cold shower, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Actually, you're not far from the truth there. I yeah. Like I was I was hyped. I was hyped. Which is a really good conversation. I think we just went real deep real soon mm-hmm. and it was just great to speak to Sully. It's, it's always awkward initially when you're about to speak to someone you've never spoke to before, but you kind of admire right. for what they do. And right. then just being able to have that conversation, be proper down to earth, it was just great, really. Yeah. So for the record, uh, the interview we've got for you is going to be a two-parter because A, it's we went real deep and we went for much longer than we actually planned to um, because it was so good. And also because we, you know, we don't want to overdo, you can have too much of a good thing, right? Exactly. You wouldn't want to eat too much ice cream in one go, would you? Well, precisely. Well, Wayne, maybe Well, you I, 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 I totally would. <laughs> um, but we've decided that we will split this one up into two parts. So uh, next week we'll be delivering part two. But we're talking to Sully Brakes. Yes. Who, if you don't know, is a spoken word artist. He's a YouTube sensation. He's hit and, a few million uh, views on many of his videos. He has. So we've got him. And uh, it's a great, great, great interview. And let's just uh, jump straight in. Straight in. So here we are. Sully breaks. Sully, welcome to the Powerful Nonsense podcast. Hey, pleasure to be here. Good stuff. So we're going to start things off with a question that you might not expect, but we were just wondering, what does Sully breaks fear? Oh, wow. (laughs) That's an intense one. Yeah, I didn't expect that at all. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to start it. Um, what do I fear? I guess my biggest fear is achieving my full potential, if that makes sense. I guess as people, we all kind of have a perception of what we should do and we have an innate feeling of where we should be mm-hmm. in life or just like mentally, spiritually and physically. And I guess my biggest fear is coming up short or not feeling accomplished at the end of the day or at a point where I feel like, you know, I've, yeah, yeah. my biggest fear is not feeling accomplished. You know, I'd really like to, 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 to achieve my goals and be like, yes, I gave everything my all, you know, and I didn't leave anything on the table. And that, yeah, I, I went to, to as far as I could in any field that I'm trying to um, take. So especially with what I do now with the poetry, um, yeah, I did not achieving what I feel I can achieve, that mm-hmm. would be my biggest fear. That's quite interesting because actually we had a, uh, we were before we hopped on Skype to record this with you. We were actually having a conversation about um, fear and stuff, and and how that can affect 
the way you work. Um, do you find that that fear of not hitting your potential comes with significant self-sabotage? Um, at times, mm-hmm. at times. I don't, I don't, I don't feel it's, it's significant, but I feel there, there is, it is detrimental at times because you do, um, sometimes you put too much pressure on yourself. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, you do end up sabotaging yourself. You may do something in the short term, which you think is beneficial for you for life. But I think it comes with growth as well. And mm-hmm. I think as you get older as well, you realize that everything that you thought was supposed to be like a part of your journey or what you wanted is not necessarily necessary so when I first started making videos I used to sleep at like I'd sleep for like two three hours a night and at that time I thought yeah this is helping me and then I realized that it actually it was counterproductive Mm -hmm. because it was making me miserable it wasn't healthy on top of that and and it was it was it was making me less effective Mm -hmm. and how do you sort of like obviously if that's how you think at the end of the day you're like I want to get the most squeeze out of the day like how do you assess whether a day's been productive and has did that sort of change over time like before you thought okay if I get a video done that's been a good day or do you kind of hold yourself to certain things that you have to achieve to say okay okay today's been a win yeah I think now my mentality is more like it's not so much about what I do it's more like how I feel at the end of the day so I could spend a whole day like doodling like a comic book strip or just drawing a picture mm-hmm. or fiddling about with my guitar but at the end of the day if I if I can sleep easy or I can feel like, you know, I don't wake up feeling like, like in, in a state of like disharmony, you know what I mean? Instead of feeling like, oh shit, I've been feeling depressed. I think that's more important for me, you know? And I think as I've grown, what I'm trying to achieve is more about what, what, what I need to make me, make me function and be harmonious, you know what I mean? So I feel like my, my measure for, for productivity has definitely changed. You know, some days I, I spend, I can work from like 7am to 12pm and that's productivity. Some days I could just sit on Netflix all day. And for me, I just feel like I've been productive because I've, I've, I've fed my creativity. I've fed my, myself in other ways outside of just like, just running, running a hundred, a hundred miles per hour all the time. Mm. I think it's really interesting that you say that because I think there's a lot out there at the moment which is still very much this kind of hustle, 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 don't stop, don't stop. If you stop, you're being lazy. Um, But I think it's that fine balance between knowing when you need to stop and when you need to recharge. I mean, um, I've said a few times I had my break over Christmas, which is my yearly break pretty much, which I didn't have the year before. And my God, I was so unproductive because I hadn't had that break the year before. And then I came <laughs> yeah. back this new year, and my God, I've been on fire. I mean, I have my moments, but like... Yeah, but... Yeah. I can imagine. It's such a difference maker. Like, it's such a difference maker. And especially as... as I feel like one thing I neglected... Sorry, I didn't even mean to cut you off. Sorry. No, it's all right. Fine, man. Carry on. Um, um, especially as a person... I just wanted to say this before I forgot. But especially as a person who feeds off his environment and about what's going on, I realised that me becoming so... Um, withdrawn into my own world is actually very counterintuitive and counterproductive to what I'm trying to achieve. Mm. So I realized that me making an effort to actually be around more people or be, you know, experience more things was actually more beneficial than me at times getting so many different things done in a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We get a bit addicted to our checklist, don't we? It's kind of like ticking off. Okay. I've definitely moved the needle forward. Obviously, yeah. maybe a lot of people that might be listening to this might be feeling like day to day they keep having those days where they don't feel productive and it has been a waste of a day and they didn't start that project they were hoping to start. What kind of self-talk when you maybe had one of those days, would you kind of give the advice to someone to kind of think about when they're constantly feeling day after day that they're not pursuing that thing they want to go after? 
Yeah, that's interesting you ask that because a lot of people do ask me that because I've, I've been doing what I've been doing for a while and I guess with a lot of people, they see me, they'd be like, you've been going like six years straight, non-stop, like five, six years, years seven straight, no, non-stop since you graduated. Mm. And I told them like one of my biggest keys to that is that I never see any day as wasteful. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think, like you said, we get so caught up on the checklist, but I say to myself, listen, like, energy, like, regardless of what you put down on paper, what we, like, there's the intangibles that we can't account for. Like, me watching something on TV may enhance my creativity, may enhance my insight in mm-hmm. a way that I would never have been able to if I spent all day in the office. So I always say, like, everything you're doing outside of what you think you're supposed to be doing, try and find a way to make it tie into to your goals or your aims. I mean, there's some things which are, are completely, sometimes it can be a complete waste of time. Like my cousin's re-watching Game of Thrones. And I'm like, Game of Thrones is not even 10 years old. You don't need to re-watch it just yet. You know, I feel like, <laughs> you know, I feel like, what, I mean, the, yeah, the, like, but I mean, the, it's all different, you know. I mean, but if he was like, if he wanted to be like a cinematographer or whatever, him re-watching that is not actually a waste of time because I guess he's benefiting from it. So I think there's always, whenever you do stuff, you should always try and find, like usefulness and purposeness in in those wasteful days or those days you may you may not think you're doing as much and I think it helps you be a lot not only a lot more uh, feel a lot better it helps you with the marathon because I think any journey you're on like success or whatever it's always a marathon and you need to be able to to pace yourself rather than like I said going so so fast so so that's the advice I give people just always try and make it find a way to make your wastefulness, quotation marks, and productive or feel productive or find the benefits in it. Definitely. Why do you think, because you mentioned the marathon there, and um, there's obviously the whole marathon, not a sprint kind of thing. What do you think it is that makes people uh, give up so quickly or not go all in? It's just hard, isn't it? I just think it's it's so. I just think it's so hard. I I always say to people, and I was saying to someone last week. I think unless you're truly passionate about something, you. I mean, it's important to make sure you're really passionate about something mm-hmm. because then there's no real concept of giving up. It's like I, I give the analogy of someone who supports Chelsea, for instance. Like if Chelsea are losing, he's never going to stop supporting them because he enjoys watching it. You know what I mean? He uh-huh. enjoys the sport. And there's always another season. So there's no concept of giving up because that's just a part of his life. He can work he can work all day, but he can still like find time to keep up with the scores and do all that stuff. So I think when people are truly passionate about something, I think you definitely have to be passionate. Because when you're passionate, there's no concept of giving up. Like if you're someone who enjoys writing poetry, even if you're not getting paid for it, you're still going to carry on writing. And I think a lot of people try to go into avenues because they're like, oh, this is going to be successful or because oh, I've seen this person do it, I want to do it. But I think the only way to truly not give up is just be passionate because you can't see yourself living without it. You can't see yourself without supporting your football team. You can't see yourself not enjoy because, you know, there's no other choice to it. So I want to take things back to maybe going to past the Sully breaks. And obviously, when you was younger, for you, that was basketball, I'm guessing. And you were like, yeah. I can only be... I'll be successful. I'm going to be, my passion is basketball. And it was funny because I think for like a lot of boys, girls, for me, especially when I was younger, it was like, you know what? I have to become that footballer because otherwise I won't be successful. And I was just wondering, like at that time, when you go back there, what was you thinking about when you were thinking about your basketball? Was that going through your head? Like, this is what I need to become. Yeah, totally. man. that consumed my life. I mean, 
when it came to a point, I came to a realization point that oh, well, I was not going to get to play or it wasn't going to happen. Like I, I, start, I was actually crying. You know, I was I was physically like in tears. You know, because mm-hmm. it, it was such a big part of my life and the realization that this is not really going anywhere meant like so much to me. But that did consume my life. But like I said, I'm a person. I don't see any of those years as wasteful. Or any of those years is counterproductive because I learned so much and a lot of the mentalities I learned around teamwork or even just consistency and perseverance came from that time as playing basketball and on top of that there was a lot of worse other things I could be doing so I feel like that was my passion that consumed my life and it yeah it, it was that's what I felt I need to be a basketball player I need to be a basketball player but I'm, but as I've grown older I've realized that if you do what you're passionate about from the start or if you do something you enjoy, avenues will always stem from it that you never realised were going to happen, you know, or you never thought was, was going to manifest. If I don't take anything from what I was doing in basketball into what I do now, at least I, I got my name from there, you know, there's some benefit that mm-hmm. came from, from, from that time. So I think it, 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 I don't think you should ever be like, I don't think you should ever be deterred because you feel like it may not happen. I feel like you just got to go with it. But that was my main main everything when I was young mm-hmm. exactly the same for me when I was like with football I was just like it was so hard to kind of just you like get to that certain age you like it's just not going to happen now and then obviously you have to switch direction but I think what you said there's really powerful is that there are so many lessons I think even my consistency with what I do comes from my training as a playing football when I was younger so obviously once you um, yeah. let go of that sort of that that passion obviously you got a lot out of it was that what led you then into obviously go and do law? Was you kind of thinking, okay, that big dream's over. I'm not going to become a basketball player that I wanted. Next best thing, I guess, is to find a career where I know people supposedly make a lot of money. Was was that your reason for going into law? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even have a reason for going to law, if I'll be honest, outside of the fact that I'd got, into, I'd got accepted. My mum had made me apply. I'd got accepted into um, Sheffield. And my parents did it. Because that, but that period... Looking back in hindsight, I feel like that was a period of me finding myself. You know, I was very dejected that I couldn't play basketball. And I still dabbled it, like, in and out, training here and there. But it was more like I was just going through the motion of that period. I didn't really have that much direction. But I've always been good at passing exams and, and, and in so many ways just, like, simulating enough information I need, like, from lectures and getting through the, getting through the course and stuff like that. But that was a very, um, very big growth period for me. But there was no incentive for me to go into law. There was no passion behind it. It was merely just like going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Then how did you kind of like find the, the will just to even go to those lessons? Like what was going through your head? You're thinking, well, I'm doing it. You're going through the motions like you say, but there's nothing to keep you going. Was you kind of hoping something was going to come out of the sky and kind of pick your passion up again? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, if I'm honest with you, brother, I wasn't even like... I wasn't even going to lectures most of the times. I would, I would just, I'd, you know, I'd wake up and I'd watch like, I'd watch like cartoons and listen to music. And then when it came to exam period, I just got buckled down in the library for about three months. So it wasn't even like I wasn't, I wasn't that engaged. I just knew that. I mean, my first semester, I failed my exams. And then it's only when I had to revise during the summer when I was like, oh shit, I don't want to revise during the summer again. So it was a bit more. That was more of the incentive to get through the other exams, not having to do retakes in the summer. But outside of that, it was just there. There was there was really no like driving force. I've always just been a person who just, I guess I'm I'm kind of able to manage my situation, and I just carried on just going through the motions. And it also, I guess there was a lot of social pressure. 
Because mm. among your peer groups, you don't want to be the person that's failing or has to repeat a year. I mean, when we was in uni, there's a girl who repeated. She had to repeat the year. And she just disappeared. I never heard from her again. It's <laughs> like, it was, so, it was such an embarrassment among the peer group to be that person that didn't pass. Yeah. So I get yeah. there was that, that social pressure as well to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing your parents were also probably like, yes, my son's doing law. <laughs> yeah, man. All, every, every, you know, that, that was like the crowning achievement of the family. Like my son's doing law, he's studying law, you know, all over the place. So those were the little things that didn't incentivize me, but it made it a necessity, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you think um, that um, as a generation, uh, I think social media may have a huge part to play in this as well, but as a generation, uh, we're playing so much keeping up with the Joneses sometimes that we're sacrificing a lot of actually what we really want out of life. Yeah, totally, man. I feel like, like you said, social media plays a part as well because you see someone who's the same age as you and then they're getting so many likes for doing this, 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 or I've just graduated, I've just done this, and they get so many likes and you're like, that's what I need to be, you know. Mm-hmm. Pri- I guess prior to the internet it was you looking around at your peer groups and seeing where everyone else is. Now your peer group, I guess, is so much bigger because of social media mm-hmm. and everybody seems to be doing exactly the same thing. So I feel like that, that that social pressure that I felt from my classmates is now coming from so many different avenues via Instagram, Twitter, and all these other stuff to keep on following, yeah, keep up with, with what we're supposed to be doing. It never really gives you time to take a step back and really think, what am I supposed to be doing? Right. It's more like, oh, shit, I'm moving too slow. Uh-huh. I think I read somewhere where you were sort of saying in that sort of period, you just felt like your whole creative creativity was just being like suppressed. Yeah, man, it it it, it really was because I wasn't, I had no, I, I had no driving force to learn anything, you know, even some of the subjects I enjoyed from time to time, like we had this pretty cool lecturers every once in a while, but it was really like, there was no like thinking in in what I was doing, but there, there may have been for a lot of people, but I never found it, maybe because I wasn't as engaged in it. Yeah. So obviously you're you're at university. Sully Breaks is probably thinking about, okay, what have I got to be doing next? Was it the rap that came next or did you just go jump straight into your poetry? I just, you know, the rap stuff, it was always like, I've always loved music, you know, but I I, I kind of like every, I feel like everybody's loved music and always want fantasize or romanticize about being a musician. Mm -hmm. You're not a basketballer, you've got to be a rapper. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You know, one or two Those were the guys that got the girls and got the only. You know, unless you unless you had like some own some massive company and like you didn't. We didn't have the 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 network for that. It's if you had to be an athlete or a musician. So mm-hmm. I'd always fantasize and romanticize. And I loved one thing that I've always done. I've always loved reading. And then when I first discovered rap music, so even to this day, I find it hard to listen to music that doesn't have a lot of like narrative behind it. Because when I first discovered rap music, what I fell in love with was the storytelling aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I liked writing and, and, you know, and creating stories out of the lyrics and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's why I got the basis for rhythm and tone and stuff, the certain things I do in my poetry. And then grime music was around. So I used to dabble in and out, but I was never like... A rapper, you know, and I, you know, I had the child ambitions of being a rapper, but I never did like nine to five in the studio kind of let me learn to produce all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like that basis was there. And then there was an opportunity to do something. And I was like, listen, I know I'm not a rapper. I don't really want to make a fool of myself. Um, and as well, as long as that time as well, there was a big stigma around rap, like in like my community and stuff. It, um, like, cause I grew up Muslim in a Muslim household. So there was a lot of, um, um, stigma around um, 
rap music as well. So I didn't want to do it. And I was like, oh, let me do some poetry. So I guess that's where the poetry first emerged from. Okay, ladies and gents, we're just going to take a wee quick break. Make it snappy. Make it snappy. Uh, (laughs) uh, We need to thank our sponsor, which is the University of Northampton. Thank Uh, you very much. Thank you, indeed. They've been supporting us for quite a while now. um, And they really are, in terms of if you're looking for like ideas for entrepreneurial skills setting up your business and doing it with social conscience social conscience uh these guys are the guys to check out um they're a great university we are alumni ourselves yeah so we can vouch for this uh, they are absolutely supportive of anybody who wants to set up their own venture so if you want to check them out if you're thinking i'm going to get a degree but i also want to set up my own business check them out northampton.ac.uk also we have another giveaway for you not just our Sully Breaks bundle but we have put together a free ebook for you we just keep giving we just you just come to Powerful Nonsense we just keep the giving never stops <laughs> <laughs> so we know that there's a big challenge for uh, entrepreneurs cypreneurs entrepreneurs out there getting their business off the ground and getting their side hustle off the ground when they're also trying to work the 9 to 5 and pay the bills but we have a solution our ebook find time for your side hustle. I think that was it. <laughs> I, <hope laughs> I can't so. remember the title. Oh my God. Finding time for your side hustle. We'll it's go not, with it's not like you wrote it, Wayne. I know. <laughs> finding time for your side hustle. Um, and it's all about finding the time around your day job and your other commitments. Loads of value in there. Stuff that I use myself. Gem uses, I believe, a lot of it. Never. Don't read your books. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> no, no, no offence taken. It's fine. Um, so yeah, head over there. You can get it on the homepage at powerfulnonsense.com. Uh, click on the big button, enter email address, and we'll ping it across to you. Great. Back to the show. And what do you think then made you... Um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but what was that moment where you kind of... Or even was there a moment where you thought, yeah, I could probably earn my keep off of this and make a living out of this? What What was the transition? Um, the, the tra- yeah, that's probably a bit further when it started. I, I was going to ask you, Silly, like, obviously, you say there was an event. What was that like in your second, third year of uni? Like, did what was, what was that event about? How did you find out about that? And then what made you be like, okay, I'm going to put myself out there on stage? Cool. Um, so which question we'll am I answering to first? Is a little jump ahead. Oh, oh, cool, cool, cool. I can answer both of them um, sequentially anyway. It's cool. Um, the event was, it was um, a society, ACS Society, African Caribbean Society. Okay. And they do a showcase every year, like of music, dance, etc. Uh-huh. So I said, oh, I wanted to do poetry. And, and I didn't say I wanted to do poetry. I had a quote unquote rap battle with this guy. And he was a president <laughs> at the time. <laughs> And he was like, I guess, I guess he felt like he was embarrassed, and he wanted to embarrass me. And he was like, Oh, why didn't you come and perform if you're so good? And I was like, Okay, I know I'm not a rapper, like you know, let's not play. So I, so I wanted to do the poetry because I was like, you know, what worse comes to worse. It was really just on a whim. But I've, one thing, I've, I've never been that. Um, I've never been. I've, I mean, I'm nervous before I go on stage, but I've never been that intimidated of speaking in front of people. So I was like, Okay, I'll give it a go. Mm-hmm. So I did do that, and it went down. It went down very well. But even then, it wasn't like, I'm going to commit myself to this. Because you don't go back to like London and be like, I'm going to do poetry. I, like, now, it's quite... <laughs> you know, 
it's now it's a bit bigger and, it, and it's a bit like there's ways of being paid. But them times it was like no one was doing that. So it was it was it wasn't something that was even on my mind at all. That was in my second year. So then when we did like subsequent events in the uni, they asked me to perform and I got invited to perform at other universities. So it's kind of like when I met my girlfriend, who's my wife now. When I met her at that time, she was she had this kind of like no nonsense attitude about her where she was like she made me think for the first time she said okay like you, you don't want to do law okay cool you don't want to do law that's fine i know you don't go to lectures you always sleep when i'm at lectures cool so you're, what do you want to keep us you sound like a keeper to her <laughs> you're, <in laughs> you're not going to lectures i uh, know i know what I, did she I see she had to kind of put her foot down in it <laughs> she saw so some she hope there exactly so she wants to be like to be, um, so what do you want to do? And I was like, she was like, oh, I saw you did a poetry thing. I think that's the first time I met her, actually. I can't remember. But no, it wasn't the first time I met her, sorry. Because we knew each other before we started dating. But So she was like, um, why don't you um, try and do that? And and I guess it kind of it kind of brought back that competitiveness, like I said, that I learned in sports. And it was kind of like, if you're going to do something, commit to it 100%. Don't be flimsy. So I was like, to, okay, you're right. I'm not going to do law. So I might as well commit to that. And I kind of started approaching that with the same tenacity that you approach like when you're, like, when you're doing sports and what I learned from basketball. So I started practicing and then I started trying to get out there at different events. And it, and it, started, it started to build a little name for myself. And I enjoyed like performing. Like, like I, enjoyed, I enjoyed creating something and getting on stage and people reacting to it and people discussing the ideas and, and the, the whole energy around that. So it, that, that was growing. And then... It wasn't more so I got to a point where I felt like I, I can make a living off this. It was kind of like I had no choice. Like, if I'm going to carry on doing it for the rest of my life, I have to find a way to make a living off it. And so I, the ball just kept on rolling and rolling. And then this, is the, like you said, is jumping a few years ahead. And then I'll tell you, the book that changed my life, I read The Alchemist. And I think that kind of just changed the dynamics of how I viewed everything because it was so much about, like, pursuing that idea because this is what I'd been doing subconsciously I'd been pursuing the idea but with the alchemist it was kind of like reaffirmed that if you pursue an idea it will manifest into at, at the end of the book your treasure so that way where it was like for me it was like a no-brainer it was like I was getting maybe like maybe like 30 pound a show 20 pound 50 pound a show somewhere roundabouts but it was like if I keep on pursuing this and I make it something greater there there, there is going to be a way to make it sustainable at the end of the day that it will come out so I think it was around that period, around 2010, 2000, no, 2011, that I really kind of thinking, that okay, uh, it wasn't so much I can make money, but I don't have much of a choice and it will happen. Mm-hmm. And they say um, behind every great man is a great woman. Uh, do you uh, think that you would be in the position you are now or do you think you would at least be headed in the position that you're in now if your wife hadn't said that to you? Nah, definitely not. I feel, I feel, I feel like I have the, I have the qualities. I have certain qualities. Like I'm ambitious, and I'm, I'm like, I like to innovate, and I'm driven. But I feel like she put the needle on the compass in the right place. Like mm-hmm. she just, she just made it make sense because I was just spinning and spinning and spinning. And then when I met her, she kind of just made it. She kind of pointed in the right direction, and she made it make sense for me. Mm-hmm. just want to go back just a couple of steps quickly obviously when you was going onto this stage to do these shows you didn't just write one poem and it was like okay this one's going to hit home with everybody like how many poems did it take before you was like you know what 
this is a good one like how much did you throw away how did you how could you even gauge whether you thought something was good or bad or worth being heard by others sometimes you don't even know like i've got thousands of stuff i've written like literally thousands and sometimes i've been booed off stage before you know you never really know what what is good but you only ever you you got to try it out you know you perceive and you think it's good it's like when you when you're when you make like a, a rewrite a story or you make a film and you you think it's good and you think I'm gonna enjoy it your friends are like this is the best thing I've ever seen you never really know until you give yourself the confidence to put it out there and I guess the audience dictates and sometimes even if it is good people don't acknowledge it so I think there's a big value I always say to people if you do something don't be afraid to put it out there because you're go it's only that at that moment that you really know what resonates and what hits but I mean I've, I was I've been performing since 2009 and the first the first real big poem that took off virally like to the extent like super was in 2012 so that's like three years mm-hmm. and I started my first performance in 2008 so that's like in between that period that's like four years of content that's just like been going up in the air so there's a lot of lot of poems in between if you go to and that's why i never delete youtube videos of my youtube channel because some of my videos are really shit but i keep them there so, <laughs> and now some of them are awful like they're so embarrassing but i keep every single video i posted on my channel so people can go back and see the trajectory that it didn't just come with one video there was thousands like I me mean, not thousands but there was like many many more mm-hmm I suppose it debunks that myth of that sort of overnight success, which you, we always hear so much about. Yeah, no such thing. I, I, I haven't seen it. I haven't met anyone with overnight success. No, not yet. What did it feel like when you got booed off stage? Because I can imagine for most people who kind of want to be creative, that's like total bombing. Like, that is rock bottom. Bro, that was like the worst moment ever. Like, literally, I was in Sheffield at the time, which was kind of poetic because that's where I went to university and I'd come back to do an event. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't the right time and the right event and the right content. And I got, I, I literally got booed and I, I started walking to the train station. I mean, the event hadn't finished and like the, my train was the next morning, but I literally left the vet, stepped off the stage and started walking back towards the train station saying I'm going home because I was so depressed, you know, mm. but it, it was just like the worst feeling ever. It, it was just so terrible. What was going through your head though? Was you thinking like, okay, this is it obviously. Cause I know in that sort of moment, when you get a bad comment on a post you make or you put out a podcast and someone gives you negative feedback and then suddenly you start questioning yourself, like what was going through your head? What sort of questions? Uh, you know, I was, I can't, I think it was, such, it was such a blur that I just felt like so low. Like it, it wasn't like, oh, I'm giving this up, I'm going to retire. But the feeling was like, like, is it, is it worth, I guess it's more like, is it worth it? Like, what, how could I do this to myself? Like, who are these people to, like, I come up, like, why am I putting myself through this? I think, pardon me, I think that'd be more of the emotion as opposed to I want to give up. It was like, why did I do this to myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Why why am I putting myself in that position where people can do something like that to you? And it, it, I can't, I can't even remember the feeling. It was so bad. I was speaking to my friend. I was like, I was like, to have pregnancy so bad, why do women go through it so many times? And she said, because... The pain is so much that there's nothing else that can remind you of it. So you forget how bad it is until you're doing it again, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. So I'm not I'm not liking this to pregnancy. But I'm saying the, the feeling is so low. Now, I know we're near pregnancy, but the feeling was so low that I can't even reimagine how I felt. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, it was such a low feeling. Like, it was so, 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 like... But I mean, that, I know people who do off stage and quit, you know, like, that's not for me. So it, it's bad. But I feel and there was like, a lot of people. Yeah, I feel like that is the exact feeling that that 
what people put in their head is exactly why they don't decide to write a poem. That's exactly why they don't become an actor. Mm. That's ex- then it seems like how, if we obviously want people to pursue their creativity, how do we show people that that is not the way? Like you're still here, you're still creating. Yeah. You took off many years later, but you stayed in the game. Like, what do we need to tell people to kind of make sure that they see that the worst case scenario isn't as bad as we make out? Yeah, the, yeah, because it's not going to kill you. And I think what you need to remember as well is that if when you do get the best case scenario, that feeling lasts forever. Like you can remember that feeling over and over again. You know, the best case, like the best case scenario, is always going to outweigh the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, just having like one good event. Like if you have, you can have ten bad good events, but if you have one good event, like that feeling, like it's incompre- it's incomprehensible, but it's just one that stays with you on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. So I feel like. The negatives are going to come regardless. The negatives are always going to be there. But I feel like the positives, if you stick in it, stick in it for the positive, the positives are always going to outweigh outweigh the negative. You know, I feel Mm -hmm. like you just have to have the patience of it. But the negatives are going to be there. And I think when there's a certain acceptance that comes with it, like if I have a bad show nowadays, I'm I'm like, yeah, I accept it. It happens. You know, we'll get them on the next one. I think it's important to understand that the negatives are always going to be there. It's never going to be perfect. Yeah. I guess the booming was so hard for me because that was a big like shock to my system. I'd never had something like that happen before. Mm-hmm. So what was it that you did after you've... So you're presumably on the train home by this point. So what was well, it... I, no, my train was until the next morning. You have to book the train. <laughs> so it was oh, so you sat in the station overnight. No, it was a completely irrational thought. So I got to the to, to the station, and then my friend who had come in was like, "Are you okay?" You know, he came. He was DJ, and he came to stage. Said, "Are you okay?" And you know, and I feel it was a bit embarrassing to say, like, "Yeah, I walked back to the station," and I was like, "Oh, um, yeah," because we're, we're staying over at his mates for the night. So I was right. like, "Oh, um, so where? So um, yeah, I'll meet you back where we're gonna stay." And it was just walking through everybody and going back to the apartment. And, you know, people are trying to be nice. They're like, oh, you was good, mate. Obviously, I wasn't good mm. because I got booed off stage. But, <laughs> it, it, yeah. So, th- yeah. So then I headed back to um, to my friends and we stayed over at his friend's place um, during the night. Right. And what was it that you did? What sort of, uh, what was your thinking that kind of almost stopped you from uh, kind of having that moment of, uh, do you know what? I don't think it's worth putting myself through this. What was the kind of thing that you did to kind of get yourself back on the, back on the boat, back on the horse? horse. That's the one. <laughs> back on the horse. I think I gave myself time. I think I gave myself about a week, maybe. I think certain things you just have to, you just have to acknowledge that they're going to hurt and it's going to be painful. And you, you got to like kind of roll with the punches. I think mm-hmm. I just gave myself time. And then, and I acknowledged that it was like, it was bad. It was the worst moment, but it's gone now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And as time goes on, you start it, it starts to feel less and less. So and so as soon as that was over, like it wasn't like next day I'm um, back onto this. It was kind of like I gave myself that that time. I think afterwards to kind of come to terms with it and mm-hmm. say to myself, okay, that's over now. You know, like I mean, I remember it for the rest. Of, I may remember it for the rest of my life. But half of those people, if I said it to them now, like. Most of them are not going to remember. I even saw my friend that was DJ, and I even said to him, I remember when I got booed on stage. And that was like a realization. He goes, Oh, yeah, I remember. You know what I mean? It doesn't last in his head. Like, mm-hmm. it's only as big as you make it. Right. And for me, it was like, it's, it's, it's over. The moment's gone. I'm the only one who can make it any worse than it already is, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. you just sort of stop entertaining the fool and kind of try to put your focus back on where you have sort of succeeded. 
Yeah, you got yeah, you got to give it the time. You have to give it the time and be like, okay, let's let's keep it moving. And you know, I've had good shows. It doesn't make sense to have one bad performance and be like, okay, this is it. I'm not doing it anymore. You know. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously, you ended up graduating from university and you're back in London. I'm guessing, and you're doing these shows. You're making twenty quid. You're making thirty quid here and there. That isn't paying the bills. That isn't buying you your car. That isn't the job that you're seeing all your lawyer friends have. Like, <laughs> what happens next? Boy, that that was that that was a, that was a tough period because I think I graduated and then I had like a door to door job, and then after the door to door job, I got what job did I get? Oh yeah, then I got a cleaning job, and that was like, wow. and that was a lot of low moments as well. I, I feel like. So I'm working this cleaning job and I'm performing, you know, I'm doing little shows, but it's not really, it's not really going anywhere. And, mm-hmm. and I guess it was kind of like, but my name was getting around here and there, but I definitely wasn't getting any money. And th- I mean, the, the moment which I really actually, I really actually felt like quitting, like th- there's a moment where I did actually feel like quitting. And that's when, um, I'm not sure if I said it at my show, because I normally tell people, but there was, there was a moment when I, w- I, w- I was working as a cleaner and someone took like a shit in, in the shower yeah, I remember you, know, you mentioning this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, and, and that 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 was the moment. Like that was the that's probably my lowest moment. Where I was cleaning like, up someone else's shit. Yeah, that is probably my. That's probably the only moment where I ever said, "What am I doing? Like, why the fuck am I doing this?" That's probably it's probably that moment where I was like, <laughs> I, "I don't think I can do this anymore." So it, so it was so those so also things like that were happening, and then I started working. Um, then I started, but the, the pivotal point was really, um, I had a conversation, this is before I read The Alchemist, and like I was doing I was doing the little videos on YouTube here and there, here and there, and performing, and the pivotal point, this before, moment before I read The Alchemist, was I had a conversation with a guy, and he was like to me, because um, up until this, don't forget, I'd failed as an athlete, and I thought, oh, I'd failed as an athlete because I wasn't tall enough, I wasn't fast enough, I wasn't naturally talented, so I was just like, that's just the way the universe works. So when um, I had a conversation with a guy who shot a video of mine, which did pretty well, and he said that, oh, YouTube, it was, it was such a flippant comment, but it meant everything to me. He said to me, you know, YouTube is like a science. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? He goes, you know, like the most popular videos are popular because there's a certain tem- terminology in there. Like, say, he made a video for a low-key called Abomination. He goes, that was one of the most popular on YouTube videos on YouTube because the two most popular search terms at the time were Inauguration and Obama. And for, he may not have thought, but that meant everything to me because then for the first time in my life, I realized that success is not an accident, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, things don't go viral by accident on YouTube, meaning that people who are successful, they, they can plan and be very deliberate about their success. So I started looking at, I was thinking about my things like that. I started to get more into the business side of stuff. And I really didn't have any direction until I started working um, in Nike Town. And then I read The Alchemist, which was maybe like within a year of me having a conversation with this guy. And then when I'm at The Alchemist, it kind of clicked because it was like to me, there's books that teach you about how to be successful. So a lot of the things I've done, a lot of it has been very deliberate and very purposeful and very studying science and combining that with creativity. Mm-hmm. And that was really where there was a newfound optimist. I started reading like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all these kind of books. And there was a new, not saying the books is like the how-to guy, but there was a newfound optimist because optimism because it was like, I finally had control of where I wanted to go. I was like, I can control my success. I can listen to people and learn. It wasn't just like I had to be six foot tall. It meant I could learn something and I could use it to my advantage. And I think that's when 
the game really started changing for me and how I started approaching my art. And that's when it didn't make sense to me to do those little shows all once in a while. I just focus all my energies on like, okay, those shows, I can only physically be there at a certain time. I tried to make a DVD, which didn't do well. But I was thinking if I use YouTube as a platform, I can reach many people all at once. Mm-hmm. And so all that thinking kind of started to, 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 to come together in my head. It's funny how people kind of read because everybody I speak to is sort of like in that sort of entrepreneurial space. There's always like that one book that leads to like the the general books that everybody reads. And it's kind of like it kind of takes the veil off and everyone's got these like seeing through the matrix suddenly. And you're like, oh, wait, I I don't. That's exactly how it felt. That red pill, blue pill. Like it was Uh exactly like that. It's like, oh, I don't have to actually work for someone and somebody actually can pay me and I can do this thing, this creativity. Like it's, it's really weird, like flipping. It just switches overnight and you just... And that's what I love about books so much is that how they can just totally blow your world open to your current reality. Exactly, you know what I mean? And I, I'm a person that loves reading. So it's like, for me, I, when I found, discovered books like, like on that vein, I was like, oh shit, I just started consuming. And I guess it was at a pivotal time as well when the world kind of just exploded like with social media because it now meant that up until that point, my only points of reference as to how to live life had been like my parents and the people around me and like the few people here and there. But social media meant you got a broad spectrum of not just celebrities, but you got everybody's opinions, you know, and you got everybody's understanding. So I think that really played a big, a big factor as well. So there you are. Sully Breaks, part one. No, give us more. Everybody's shouting. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear them. They're outside. They're knocking on the door like protest (laughs) but don't worry more is coming we're going to deliver part two next friday um in the meantime today we have launched our second ever book giveaway after the success of our first um with the sully breaks book bundle which sully breaks will go into more detail um in the next episode explaining why these books have changed his life um so if you want to enter into that all you have to do is go over to powerfulnonsense.com forward slash book and uh, enter your email address and you're in. You're in the draw. Um, which books are those, Jim? Uh, put me on the spot now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the 50th Law of Power, which is kind of based on the 48 Laws of Power. Mm-hmm. It's The Colour Purple. Mm-hmm. It's Paolo Coelho, The Alchemist. <laughs> I can see beads of sweat on your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one, Wayne, is... <laughs> Um, I forgot. <laughs> Let me think. Oh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, Rich Dad Poor Dad. We got there. Well done, Jim. Memory test. Next time we can bloody stick up a picture so I can remind myself. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Well, you can always count on me to put you on the spot. I know. <laughs> um, so also, if you do want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, we'll be promoting the. Um, the giveaway on there as well so uh, facebook.com forward slash powerful nonsense or on twitter at pn underscore podcast yep. so Sully Breaks part 2 is coming next week please share this make sure you subscribe and subscribe otherwise you won't get it absolutely so thanks very much for listening and we will see you next week see you later <laughs>